You're listening to The Professional Blur, a podcast hosted by me, Jason Klom. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Professional Blur podcast. I am your host, Jason Klom. This is the only podcast about extra work, about background work. And this week, I have with me the delightful Dave Corey. Thank you so much for doing the show. Hey, Jason, thank you so much for having me on on the show with you. Now, normally, I don't I don't just latch on to somebody's tweet and say I want to interview them, but like you, you mentioned, and we won't say what it is, but you're a pretty big event. You're 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 a pretty big moment in a movie, uh, and I always love hearing when this kind of stuff happens to people. And I'm like, I bet this guy has a story. I bet this guy's yeah. done a bunch of stuff, and it turns out you've done a bunch of five and unders, which is something we do yeah. talk about quite a bit. Absolutely, yeah. That's been that's. See, when you live in what they call the uh, the flyover states, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like you'll have some really neat opportunities present themselves, and to be involved in some pretty cool projects. But you're not going to get, um, you know, guest star, right? Well, although it's happened, you know, it, I'm, sure, I'm, sure. Yeah, you've heard that, but um, it's it's it, like I say, I've been doing this since like 1980. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think when I got my, my SAG card was back in 1980 and it's, it's petered out. If, can I say that on the show? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It, it, it has uh, dwindled a bit, you know, (laughs) you know, but that can be taken so many ways and it would all be true. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that. Um, So where are you originally from and what got you started uh, acting in the first place? Yeah, I was um, born in San Jose, California, mm-hmm. believe it or not. But my dad was in the phone company, Bell Telephone, and he he would move like every two to four years back and forth. It wasn't just a little, you know, from town to town. It was like cross country all the time. Wow, okay. And it seemed like um, right up and through high school and everything else is that I finally resigned myself to the fact that I'd, I'm not going to make some friends because I'm getting tired of making friends and then having oh, to leave yeah. in a couple of years. And so I said, hey, mom, pop, what I want you to do, I got two things. Get me for Christmas. Get me a big full length mirror and get me a tape recorder. Uh-huh. So I would spend a lot of time in the room uh, making stupid faces and uh, making stupid noises in the tape recorder. And that sort of was, you know, one of those odd ways how... Um, it's not, it wasn't tragic, but it was uh, an, an unusual way to, uh, to entree into, uh, into the business. And when I finally went to uh, University of New Hampshire, because we were living in New Hampshire at the time, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I wanted to play football, but I got a bad injury. So I said, all right, well, that seals it. And I was majoring in speech and drama and really got into, um, into theater and radio and there was like a path between the memorial union building where they had the radio station and the theater and everything else that was on my on my docket you know all the uh, the required courses sort of went by the wayside and you know i just kind of hung in there with like a c minus average but uh, then i got mono in my senior year and um, that was during the vietnam war so it got to the point where i'm thinking oh man i had to take off my very last semester which I've never gotten my degree, by the way. Uh huh. And so I said, you know, uh, I'm really high up. I was number 76 in the draft at the time. I said, I better go and do something. And so I went and enlisted in the National Guard at that time in the public information detachment. They just happened to have an opening there. Wow. Okay. And uh, when I got home, I had my draft notice. So, <laughs> woo. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> you know, oh so with, <laughs> yeah. So with that, I got into, uh, I got into journalism and, uh, you know, more intensely involved in, in radio work, but it was under the army's terms, maximum disclosure with minimum delay was their whole thing. But mm-hmm. I would flip that around. It really wasn't quite like that. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and so I got to the point, I said, you know, it's either six years in the National Guard or maybe I'm going to check out, see if I can go um, get it done in two or three years and, you know, be regular army. So uh, I started, they said, well, you graduated top in the class in the defense information school and stuff like that. So, yeah, you want to go to Saigon or Okinawa? And I said, sure. They said, you'll be management at a radio station. And I said, that sounds pretty cool. Wow. Okay. Um, but then they said they're going to have to bust me down two ranks because I was uh, National Guard. And I said, that's kind of screwed up because mm-hmm. I've been, you know, learning with the regular Army people. I was the only National Guard guy. But anyway, so that's that's how that happened. I got into uh, you know radio. I did my monthly uh, monthly drills with the National Guard, um, and 
in Manchester, New Hampshire, I started with radio and then I was a program director at a rock station and the big Boston station said, uh, we got a place for you down in Miami if you want to go down there. And so that's how I wound up here in 1977. And wow. wow. Yeah. So that was the journey. And then Miami Vice came to town and I said, man, I got to, you know, I got some chops. I'm going to go see, uh, maybe I can get an agent and do yeah. some stuff on Miami Vice and boom, you know, right out of the gate. Um, I got a nice little, a nice little part on Miami Vice, which was a uh, part of a priest, I think. Uh huh. Um, had one line, and then I did, uh, I think, three other roles, and I believe I got killed twice. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, okay, so you're involved in. First of all, I wouldn't have ever expected that there's um, like a military life aspect to having a parent who works in the telephone business. That is not something I would have expected to hear. <laughs> but so not only though, do you have that you're living yeah. the life of a military brat without being one, you then do join the military, but then also on top of that, you become a DJ, which is, I would say second only maybe to military life. So you have been everywhere. <laughs> always. You never stopped moving. Yeah. It seemed for, yeah. wow. Well, yeah. That's the military training. It was based training. You don't stop moving. You don't want to be a, a target. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there, there is sort of a gypsy type of attitude and life that goes along with being in radio. But I was fortunate that since I got down here, um, you know, it's been, it's been not only just working at a radio station as an on-air personality, but also as a production director. So writing and producing commercials, but at the same time, getting cut loose to do these neat films and things like that, that, that came into town. That's and, fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I think Miami Vice was was the cool one. And you want to talk about a part, there was a, a episode called Stone's War. Uh-huh which was with G. Gordon Liddy. He was the head of these mercenaries that were drugging just really evil people mm -hmm. uh, representing uh, cartels from, from South America and whatnot. And I was one of the henchmen and my name was Bittenhouse. Mm -hmm. um, and again, there were no lines, but there were nine days of work. Wow. Um, a lot of chase scenes. We did a, we did a scene where we were in the, um, Miami Beach and we were chasing at three in the morning they had all the streets shut down and we had three cameras on the car and I was the shooting out the window and the other bad guy was uh, driving and we were following the the Testarossa that that uh, what's his face uh, Don Johnson was in <laughs> uh -huh. and uh, at one point there's a truck that's across the uh, across the street, the Testarossa goes under and we look at each other and we can't slam on the brakes fast enough. And we go under the truck and rip the roof off. Oh my God. Of course that was done by stunt men, but then we had, yeah, we had to crawl into the stuff and then they had to shoot us crawling out of the rubble. And uh -huh. you know, the stunt guy got out unscathed, but we were just covered with glass and cuts and everything else like that. And they never used that shot. So <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was exciting. And, and one of the little adventures on that was, um, I'm not going to use names because uh, <laughs> I can sort of indict some people. But sure, <laughs> stuff. There, <Yeah. laughs> there's a scene where I have to um, climb aboard one of the star's boats that was docked mm -hmm. and um, surprise him and whack him over the head with my gun. Well, certain individuals that were associated with the production didn't really care for this person that much. Uh -huh, they said... Uh -huh. <laughs> Say, Dave, um, you got a pool going there. If you, you know, when you you're supposed to hit him across the head with the gun, why don't you rough him up a little bit? <laughs> Holy shit! Oh, and I, no. said, I said, oh no, man, I can't do that. And so oh, there's some money in it for you. I said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Um, so just before we were to shoot the scene, the guy who was one of the stars, uh, <clears throat> we're standing there talking, and he says, uh, Dave. Uh, I said, yeah. And he says, I see that big guy over there. I said, yeah, Ron, your bodyguard. And he goes, uh-huh. I said, you know, if you hurt me, he's going to do some damage to you. Oh, no. <laughs> so I said, cool. No, I wasn't. I said, I don't know what you know, but, I, you know, I ain't going to do it. No, don't worry about that. No, oh, no problem. Yeah. So the first uh, the first shot, I was about three feet away from his head. And he goes, uh -huh. you know, you can, you can get a little closer when you swim. <laughs> yeah, so... 
That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But again, I, you know, still to this day, the residuals are coming in. And that was one of the, the better residuals. I think it's like down to 30 cents now. Sure, but. Uh, but. <laughs> you know, but still, um, that was nine days of really good work. That's amazing. And, what, and uh, some fun, too. What was your first time on a set, period? Uh, that was actually a, a Miami Vice episode where I played a cop. Okay. And I'm following uh, Crockett and Tubbs and um, I'm losing them. Actually, I'm following Lieutenant Castillo and he goes over a bridge over in Card Sound down in the Keys and I'm standing there and Crockett and Tubbs drive up. I have a scene with them. Then my car gets rammed by one of the bad guys. It explodes and we all go flying into the water. <laughs> um, but this was directed by Edward James Olmos. And so Amazing. the okay. time, yeah, time was tight. So it, again, it's five lines or less. Or less. And so um, he says, we don't have time to re rehearse with the first team, but they know the blocking. So you did a rehearsing with the, uh, you know, the stand-in. So this will be cool. So it goes, man, okay, we're rolling. And I hear the car roll up and inside my brain, I said, this is Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas. You know, it's like, God, I've, I haven't even met him or anything like that. And I'm supposed to be focusing on being in character, you know? Sure. So <clears throat> I turn around and they add, they do their first line on me and I go, <laughs> and so uh, Edward James almost yells, cut. <laughs> and, and he was laughing. He says, perhaps I should have introduced you. And I said, yeah, that was a little bit of a shock. And again, that was my first time on a professional set. So holy crap. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was wow. hell. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So your first time you were already sounds like then you're already SAG. So you're already getting parts with lines. Did you, mm -hmm. did you have like, how often, would you say you did any like no line extra work throughout your career? I'm curious because I know sometimes it gets, you know, you do a mixed mixed bag. Well, it, most of it has been, you know, as far as commercials, you know, you do, of course, background work on that as well. Mm -hmm. And not often are lines associated with that. Sure. What do you know? What your first, what can you think of what your first extra gig is like no lines period? I always, I have to ask yeah. that one because I'm always curious. I think it was a Skippy peanut butter commercial <laughs> and Amazing. there were about, there were about 20 of us. And this sort of was actually my entree into the politics of the union uh, because, you know, I was, um, I, I luckily because of the voiceover stuff I had done, <clears throat> I was a member of uh, AFTRA. And mm -hmm. so I, I got into screen actors guild back then it was a lot easier to become a SAG member if you were a member of a sister union. Okay. So we're on the set and there's like 20 of us as extras and it just so happens that it's time to break for lunch. And the director says, uh, I just got one more shot before lunch. I know, you know, you have to break at this time, but just one more shot like that. 19 of the people behind me are going, oh, sure, no problem. We'll do it. And me, I said, man, I said, I know what you're doing. I said, I know what you're saying. Uh, but I got a contract book that says we got a break for lunch. So there'll be meal penalties and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the, and it's like behind me, they're going, oh, man, Corey, you're such a pain in the ass. You know? <laughs> I said, no. I said, this is what you got to understand is that you got to act like a professional person, uh, not a not a subservient dog. You know, right. you've yeah, you've got to you've got to live up to your contracts and, and you will get the respect you deserve. And sure enough, the director says I had to try it. He says, good for you guys. Um, you know, so that's that's what I took from from that first experience and, mm -hmm. and going to going to auditions, uh, you know, after that, um, being very aware of, you know, you get an hour and after after an hour, if you're not seen, then you got to get paid. Um, you know, all those things. And, and people would always look at me as, uh, you know, my, my peers would look at me as a, as a problem, you know, for instance, going into an enterprise car commercial and the casting director says, uh, what you do is just like be, uh, whatever you do at a, at a car rental agency, you know, just, just ad lib something. And I said, Oh man, I said, you got to put us, you got to put a box around that. He goes, uh -huh. what do you mean? Yeah, I said, you can't, this is a creative session then. And so if I go in there and you don't tell me specifically what you want me to do, what you want me to do improv wise, if you don't put a little frame around that, then it's a creative session. You got to pay me a half a day's pay. 
Wow. And, you know, the people behind me are going, Corey, you're such a pain in the ass. And I, I at that point, I took I took one of them, you know, I'm 6'6", six, six, I'm like 250, and <clears throat> I slammed them up against the wall. I said, who the F do you think I'm doing this for? Uh, you know, I said, you know, you're going in there. And I said, how would you like it if you didn't get your part? And all of a sudden you're seeing your work being done by somebody else, you know? So, right. Yeah. You know, so even if you're a background performer, an extra, whatever you want to call it, you know, you've got to be aware of your rights. You've got to behave professionally and you're going to get that respect. And consequently, you're going to get some kind of a rep for yourself and perhaps find yourself, you know, getting some lines along the yeah. way. You know? Right. Yeah. Holy cow. That's yeah. wow. You know, I, I'm, I've always been non-union, unfortunately. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'd, I've never had that experience. But every once in a while, you will find somebody on set who actually does know their shit up and down, you know, and they know exactly <laughs> what they're like. Nope, we can't do this yeah. right now. Uh, yeah. You can try. And now, whereas uh, myself, of course, I'm no matter what I'm I'm uh, they can make me do whatever they want pretty much as long as I get a, a little bit of a bump. And then, they're like, oh, he'll be happy. Just give him a little extra money. Yeah. Can I turn it around on you real fast? But, you know, you say you've done hundreds of, of background jobs. Uh, have they been with union productions at all? And yeah. If, oh, yeah, well, I'm, so, I'm always like on that because they, you know, they've got the minimum out here of whatever the, the SAG minimum is. They hire those extras and then everybody else is non-union. So, you know, you probably could be a union if you want. Probably, yes. Probably, yes. <laughs> I have recruiting. To, yeah, right? I know. I, I, I got it. You know, it's always that thing where we, we've, talked about it, we've talked about it a few times where you've got to get enough vouchers, and I just never uh, got enough. Now, I am, because of another production, I'm now uh, eligible, but I'd have to get in a production that paid me enough to pay the, the, the dues yeah. and all that good stuff. And Yeah, and, and the reason I bring that up is, uh, you know, I'm talking like Yoda here at this point. <laughs> I, you know, I'm 70 years old. I've been doing this like for 40 years, and I'm sort of, you know, easing back now, and especially under the current situation. Sure. Um, but I'm living real well on residuals mm -hmm. and pension. Mm -hmm. uh, to be quite honest, I was uh, up until three years ago, I, after 50 years in radio, I said, you know, that's it. I'm going to retire from radio and just, you know, do whatever. A lot of theater. Theater is great, too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I want to stretch out my legs and show my chops, I'll, I'll do theater. And there's great opportunities down here. I said, but um, looking at the way things are with, with the pension and the residual, you know, all these things, um, the 401ks all coming together, I, well, I'll be son of a bitch. I'm making, I can make more money, not, not working. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> if you know, so that's, that's why, you know, if you have that plan from the, from the beginning when you're young, um, it, believe me, it's going to pay off. And especially now when, uh, so many people are, are frustrated and, and not having <clears throat> anything to go to, you know, I'm talking about more specifically people my age, they're pretty damn thankful that, that they, uh, that they started taking care of business early on. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. So, but you know, again, I, like I said, I was a national board member of Screen Actors Guild and SAG-AFTRA and AFTRA, a national vice president uh, for a few years then. So I, I'm always gonna, I'm always gonna talk up the cause because of they're course. just, they're beautiful unions. And um, that's what, um, that's what our country was was founded on was the the right to to face your employers right and to yeah. and yeah um nowadays i don't know what the hell is going on but uh, i know we well we live in we live in crazy <laughs> times this is a weird you know it's yeah, a weird time yeah. to be doing anything except for podcasting it's the easiest thing in the world still to do. i know <laughs> i know so yeah <laughs> i was i've been helping people on there as you know just like doing some improv stuff and it's just mm -hmm. been a, it's been a trip man it's just been great yeah it really has and this I is fun you know improv. yeah yeah yeah, I, I I would love to know. Okay, so w was Miami Vice then your first line ever? Then yes. it sounds like it. Okay, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see, the cop car I was following was a Bolo or something like that. Uh huh. <laughs> uh -huh. <Okay>. Yeah, <laughs> but I, you know, I look at it now and I go, oh man, that sucked. You know, it really was terrible. How but, about uh, getting bumped up? Have you ever gotten bumped up to a line or gotten more lines than you intended to, and you walked in the door? That's really neat. There's something that's that was close to that. It was a, actually a BBC series that came to town. It was called okay. Only Fools and Horses. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. And it's like at the time it was like the biggest sitcom in in England. Yeah. Uh, and so they came to town to do a special Christmas show. They had a Christmas show every year, mm -hmm. and it was really neat the way it worked. They it'd be a two hour show. Um, 
the queen would do the Christmas Eve address, and then she literally would say, now it's time for fools and horses. It's oh, amazing. Yeah, so it was kind of neat to be involved in that, but there was, again, uh, another character by the name of Lurch. That was my character name. <laughs> again, you know, they always want to make me the big goon, which of is course. fine. You know, hey, character, uh, you know, character, I'll be what you want. Uh, sure. And if it's, a, if it's the consummate goon, I'll play that, you know, Till the day I die. I do also see you had a character named Knee Crusher Number One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. That's, oh, this right. is good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, Lurch was pretty cool. You know, it's like, and and I I always thought of like some business to do, some shit to do, um, like uh, drink a martini through a straw, and uh, you know they always they were just like blown away. The audition. This is the thing that was so cool. I went for the callback for the audition. And the, uh, the the director, his name was Tony Dow, but not the same one from Leave it to Beaver. Uh-huh. Uh, he was an English guy named Tony Dow. And he goes, oh, uh, yes, um, wonderful to see you, Mr. Corey. Uh, <clears throat> uh, would, you, uh, would you like to take a seat? And I said, are you kidding me? I said, that is very, very magnanimous of you. Sure, I would love to take a seat. <laughs> I grabbed the chair, walked out of the room. <laughs> walked out of the office, opened the trunk of my car, and threw it in there. <laughs> and he says, you got the part, man. <laughs> hey, man, you committed to a bit. I mean, yes. come on. That's yeah. huge. And so then, you know, as the thing progressed, the character just, they just threw more and more stuff at me to do. And then it. they actually got to the point where they did a, they had written a spinoff of this because there was another dumb character that had been a regular in that series named uh, Trigger. And mm-hmm. they had actually gone so far as to write the Lurch and Trigger show. Oh, my God. And they said, how would you guys you know, like to do a show? And would you be amenable to moving to uh, the British Isles? And mm-hmm. I'm like, geez, does the Pope have lips? <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Uh, it never came to pass, you know. It's the, you're gonna get a lot of those. You get a lot of those in this business, but it was neat. It was uh, it was a wonderful experience. And holy um, cow! And again, yeah, just stick your neck out a little. Uh, it backfires on you sometime. I went to a callback for a Burt Reynolds series that was shooting here, and uh, this was another character that. <clears throat> Uh, had to wield the switchblade and stick it in a guy's face, you know, real up, real up close and personal. Uh-huh. So I got one of my friends, his name was Vinny. And I said, Vinny, we used to work out in the gym. I said, you got any switchblades? And he goes, how the fuck many do you want? I said, oh. I just need one, Vinny, okay? And he said, and he said, you want me to show you how to do that shit? I said, yes, please. Of course. And so the line was, what's it going to be? The money you owe me or a piece of you? And, you know, the switchblade goes right in the face. I decided that I would do the switchblade right in the director's face about an inch from his nose. Oh, shit. So he, went, he says, get the hell out of here. Get the <laughs> hell out of here. I said, why? Why? He says, you just threatened me. And I don't like that. I said, no, nah, I know what I was doing. Just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that was pushing it a bit, a bit uh-huh. too much. Uh-huh. But you live and learn, you know. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I say, you know, never, never stop taking chances. Don't, don't be a pest. You know, if you're on the set and your background, don't start doing stupid crap uh, to be noticed. Sure. sure. Unless it really, if you know that it's going to work, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> that's like never. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like I say, it's been, it's been a trip. It really has. Um, I remember uh, there was a, a, sh- a movie called Evening Star. It was the sequel to Terms of Endearment. Oh, okay. And man, oh man, um, this was the opportunity of a lifetime because they were shooting it in, in uh, Houston and Galveston. And so they were, they were casting here in Miami and <clears throat> they had these two guys, the Zeus brothers was their name. Uh, that, those are the characters, a couple of Greek guys that mm-hmm. owned a bar in Galveston Bay. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we put on our Greek accents and whatever lines they gave us, uh, and sure enough, got cast. They flew us to, uh, to Houston, and the scene was that Shirley MacLaine meets us in a bar, and we had a good two solid days of being in a pickup truck drinking uh, Uzo with Shirley MacLaine. Oh my God! And just running all over Houston. That was the that was sort of the 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 side story that was going on in this film. 
And um, I had a, one of those books. I was the driver, you know, of uh, the Zeus brothers. And I was driving the pickup truck. And when we, you know, stopped shooting and we'd be sitting there forever, the three of us in the front with Shirley MacLaine in the middle, I'd pick out this book I had. It was a Berlitz Dic Dictionary, How to Speak Greek. Mm -hmm. And so at one point, Shirley MacLaine says, uh, what are you looking up now? And I said, I'm looking up how to say bend over and squeal like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so the other guy he looks at me and goes, what the hell is wrong with you? And she was in tears. I, I said, wow, that's beautiful. And uh, so, you know, that was a neat experience. She signed a, the, the book for me and she came up to me at one point. She says, you know, you really got some talent there. And I went, holy crap, you know, I can I can die now. And right. uh, it was worth worth it, you know. But then it got better from there. You know, there were a couple of other other experiences that just, uh, whew. So, yeah, I, and I, all five lines or less. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the yes. thing. Like, you get this this taste of, of what it, I mean, there's, you know, my God, I mean, I'm just looking at, at the list of things that you're in. Some, some things may be more recognizable than others, but I know that they've all got a story behind them. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. uh, are there any that you got? in a really unusual way, a la stealing a chair from a room? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there was a way early on when Walker, Texas Ranger was shooting, you know, so I had an agent that actually was really working hard to get us work outside of South Florida. Sure. And so this was like self-taping, which mm -hmm. was unheard of at the time. You know, this is back uh, maybe 20 some years ago. Mm-hmm. And so this was a scene, it was a fight that was going to happen. I was a undercover government agent and I get found out by Michael Ironside of all people, which was really cool. Um, and he, uh, he beats the crap out of me. And then I have to finally admit to him that, yeah, okay, you got me. And then he shoots me, <clears throat> which is how most of my characters die. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, so, I'm fighting with myself. I'm throwing my stuff all around. Uh, my wife's standing over the camera while I'm beating myself up, you know, because, uh -huh. you know, I just say, oh, honey, you want me to hit you? Uh, no, no, I'll just make believe I'm taking some shots. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, breaking the living room table and everything else. Um, so <laughs> we sent that, sent that video out and sure enough, uh, landed the part. And um, again, another incredible experience. Uh, I go to the airport, I fly to Dallas, and they say they're going to send somebody to pick me up. And I see this guy, he's got a sign. It says Walker, Texas Ranger, and it says Dave Corey. And the guy says, oh, Mr. Corey, I'll take your bags. And I said, no, nah, I got him. He said, I'll take your bags. And I went, okay, all right, take my bags. Uh, so then uh, we're walking out. I'm looking for the white vans they always have, you know, to sure. take you to the, yeah. So I'm looking around, looking around for white vans. And I said, where's the van? Oh, I, I saw a white van. I said, that's it over there, right? And he goes, no, 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 I'm not going to take you in that. I went, oh, cool. And we're going by this limo. And I said, oh, it'd be awesome if that was what we're going in. He goes, yes, that's it. It's your car for the day. Um, what? Come on. What? He says, yes, we're going to go sign contracts, get you fitted for wardrobe, and then the car is yours for the rest of the day. We'll show you Dallas if you'd like. And I said, you know what? I'll do the contract. I'll do the wardrobe. I said, but please just take me to the hotel because I don't want to get used to this. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I was there and then, and then on the, you know, when it was all over after I got beaten the crap out of by Michael Ironside and then the next day, you know, it's the limo back to the airport and I get home and I'm doing cat litter again. So, <laughs> you know, like, you know, do, do you ever regret not taking that tour? Come on. I, I feel like I would have loved <laughs> to take that tour around the city. Well, I mean, it's like, um, when I say, oh yeah, show me where Kennedy got shot. You yeah, know, right. Well, that's bah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know no, enough about the city. Yeah, I guess so. You yeah. know, and I said something really stupid. I said, yeah, I got to learn my lines. And he goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> because I think it was, uh, that was four lines. Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> but a nice fight. I got the crap beat out of me and then I got shot. Um, that's so, amazing it, that's the yeah. other thing too is that people don't often realize is that you know again how somebody might get treated behind the scenes in a good way mm -hmm. uh because the hell they had to they it, you're an investment at that point you're quite an investment yeah. they've yeah. got they've taken the time to uh audition you they've taken the time to audition a ton of other people 
uh, besides, make take the time to make the decision. They've got to fly your ass out there. Uh, they, <laughs> you know, they've decided apparently they're going to do it as nice as possible. And then, you know, the you then show up on a set, which sometimes can be dangerous and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, you're you're an investment. So that's interesting. Yeah, and it's and and it's really it's it's really difficult to to get used to it. Um, and I, you know, it was so funny because I, I don't think I ever wanted to get used to it because mm-hmm. I always wanted it to be exciting like that. And sure, you know, that's fair. To, yeah, I think you know, looking forward to something like that ever so often is is just neat. You know, it's it's like winning a, a game show or something like that. But even being on the set as a background performer, and um, you know, maybe there were there were a couple instances, as I recall, where there was rumbling that perhaps there could be an upgrade for you there somewhere as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I never, I never pushed that hard because it just seemed that, um, I don't know, not to get spiritual or anything, but there, I just feel like I've been blessed, you know, and yeah. it, it's not, it's not like this huge body of work. And, and again, uh, if I want to work my acting chops, I do theater and there's, you know, I've done everything from Macbeth to, uh, this silly goofy play that got closed just uh, in, in February because of the COVID, which was, uh-huh. you know, that made sense. But all this other stuff, like I say, it's just, it's fun. And it's neat to to uh, to watch how things work. You know, that's uh, something I really encourage too, all those that are listening that are doing background parts, really watch what goes on, you know, you yeah. know, learn what, obviously what back to one is and all that kind of stuff. But but watch what happens. Watch the relationship between the, you know, the script person and and the uh, the producers. How they deal with the director and, um, you know, keep your eyes open and watch watch the advice like they give to to the actors. You know, how do they inspire them if they're not getting what they want? How do they get it? You know. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's all that stuff that that that's the joy of being in this business. You know, it really is to 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 watch to learn, and then to one day to dream and and then do it uh, yourself. And, and it gives you more respect for the people who do these other jobs that you assume you'll never do. You know, you, you get more respect for, uh, even if you already do respect them, it's like, oh, I understand much more what this person does now that I've seen them do it. You know, yes, uh, like and- somebody like a script supervisor, probably the unsung su- uh, hero of every set is like, if you watch them do their job, it's like intense, so intense. Yeah, yeah. even um, the the cinematographer, um, oh yeah, sure. I had one. It was a difficult. It was a difficult shoot for me because I was playing a federal guy, um, and we got a director that absolutely full of um, him or herself. I won't uh-huh, say. Uh-huh. <laughs> <clears throat> and just again, you know, I think everybody that listens in the flyover states is familiar with the, uh, you know, the attitude that if you were really serious about this, you'd be, you'd be in Hollywood right, you know? right. and not, not understanding why we, we make choices as to where we, as to where we reside and, and earn our livings. Right. Um, but this director said, can you chew gum and talk at the same time? I said, count to three before you went across the blah, 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 blah. Oh, and the boy. cinematographer just said, I'm not going to shoot anymore if you don't stop disrespecting this actor. He's been doing exactly what wow. you wanted. I don't know what your problem is. And I went, holy cow. I've never these seen are the people. Like yeah. These are the people you make the friends with. You know, it's uh-huh. uh, you always make sure that you thank you thank the crew for what they do, you know, because yeah. they bust their butts. They really, really do. Man, that's crazy. I've never seen anything. I've seeing the exact reverse. I don't think I've told this story in the podcast before. I've seen somebody who did the exact opposite of uh, respecting other people on set. And this this person was a, I'm going to put cinematographer in quotes because this was a very small film. Um, and uh, I don't know if he knew what he was doing, but long story short, um, I do recall at one point he had a bit of a temper and they were trying to shoot in, um, I think it was a grips car. Maybe it was a grip or a sound guy's car. And they're like, can we use your car? Yeah, we'll use the car. And at one point, you hear you hear a bunch of angry yelling, which seemed to be the case a lot with this DP. And then we look down down the street, and he has the owner of the car again. I don't remember who in a headlock, uh, sticking his head out the window of his car, looking like he wants to pop his head off. And we're like, "Wow, how 
how did this just happen? <laughs> now, again, this is not a big shoot. This is not a union shoot. By the way, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that comes with <laughs> working on a union project. <laughs> but holy crap. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the range of kind of stuff that you can see yeah, in terms of yeah. respect for other human beings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, There's a fine line you want to walk, too. Mm-hmm. It's like... Um, it's again, it's all about respect. It's very much like the mob, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. you know, it's like you, you give them what they want, give them a little extra, you know, we'll dip their beak a little bit and, <laughs> um, and, and then you'll get treated nice. And if they disrespect you, then you can, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a funny scenario, but, um, there have been times where one would have to stick up for oneself. Um, I remember doing, um, that show wise guy, they uh-huh. shot they shot an episode here um that was the knee crusher part mm-hmm. he was actually a federal agent and um <clears throat> it, you know i don't know why he called him knee crusher but i guess you know they do have enforcers in in the fbi sure, and sure. um so we're chasing this guy and it's over the miami river and it's august and it's about 100 degrees and the humidity was just wicked and we had light suits on but the sweat was pouring through our suits oh my um, and so the, that was quite spotted and rather than giving us new jackets and, you know, double doubling up on the, on the wardrobe and drying it while we went through the next set, um, they threw water on us. <laughs> so at least, you know, so what, it, at least it was a uniform color now, you know, if, right. If, oh my God. They didn't throw it, you know, they painted the water sure, on. So, sure, so but... that it was all, it was all, you know, you sweat through nobody's going to see because the whole suit sweat. That's but so funny. It didn't show up on screen, <laughs> but you know, that I kind of, I thought I said, there's, there's a point there where I got a sort of, I sort of got to turn you in for a little bit of abuse, you know, right? because yeah, we could have, that was running across uh, back and forth and jumping over hurdles and things like that uh, to chase the bad guys. And yeah, it, it got pretty close to people dropping. <laughs> so, wow. That's crazy. You know, I, yeah. I, uh, not uh, what one or two episodes ago, I did talk to a gentleman who was on a, a film that starred, oh my goodness, I can't remember. But long story short, he was in a suit of armor that had just been freshly painted. And by mm. that, I mean out in the hot California sun smelling paint fumes. And he uh. then remembers waking up, looking above him at all the, the crew who thought he had just died. Um, uh. He, uh, Yeah, right? It's, it's insane. <laughs> he, and then another friend, I think also was it, uh, he was uh, in a Jim Carrey movie and uh, there their people got abandoned. Uh, they had mm. forgotten that they had a group of extras just sitting there. Um, but, and this is a terrible segue, but speaking of Jim Carrey, I'm looking at a clip, I believe, of you shutting Jim Carrey out of an operating room. Is, it, yeah. is this you that I'm looking at? That is you, correct? Yes, <laughs> okay. yes, yes, yes. That was a crazy one there. Um, you know, I don't want to change the subject, but um, <laughs> yeah, you got you got to stand up Oh man, it, it, the ego has to be in check at all times because mm-hmm. we used to have an Italian film company that would come into town and do these cheesy little Italian films, but they were union gigs and they were really big in Italy. Uh-huh. And it was these two guys, they were kind of like the Crici Crach, the Laurel and Hardy of, of Italy, you know? Uh-huh. And um but they they wanted they wanted the actors to do stunts sometimes. Like, what do we, um, we want to uh, put um, the gasoline, uh, soak in the back seat with um, gasoline. You uh, drive into wall, oh, jump no. before, and then boom. Oh, jump no. before, then boom. And we go, uh, some guys would say, Oh, no problem. I can handle that. You know, <laughs> you, go, you gotta go. No, 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 no. We don't play that here. Holy um, cow. You know? And so you, yeah, you've really got to discipline yourself um, in, in those types of occasions right? You know, oh my for your, for your own well being. But the Jim Carrey thing, it was up in, um, up in Northern Florida. Uh, what the heck was the name of the beach? Anyway, some beautiful beach up there. Uh-huh. I had so many friends that got hired to work on there. The weather was horrible. And there was a couple of guys that went up there and spent 
a month, two months, and were less than five parts, uh, five lines. Wow. But they kept getting delayed and delayed. In those two months, they got paid and paid for the sure. delay. And it was just like, I would stay in contact with them and they go, man, why aren't you up here? And I said, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, because I just had that one stupid scene. And they said, that's all we got. We just got a stupid scene like that. Um, and finally, finally, they sent me up there I left, I, w I went, did my deal and left before 24 hours had even transpired. Oh you know? my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was so, oh, now I got it. Now I'm going to get in on that life. But no, it was, I think it was like, I get there at 11 o'clock at night, shoot about 10 o'clock the next morning. They mm -hmm. shuttle me out. And by three or four, I'm I'm gone. I'm back home. <laughs> wow. Oh, we didn't even say this is for the Truman Show, by the way. It's it's a <laughs> very, Truman it's Show. crazy, you know, and that's what also people don't realize is even that amount of time, you're on screen for three seconds, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's kind of great. Like you, you get to shut, I'm looking at your wedding <laughs> ring right now. You, you shutting him out of the, the operating theater. That is yep. one of the funnier scenes in the movie too. That's and hilarious. still getting residuals. Of course too. you are. And it deservedly so. That's amazing. I, I, and I, the, what was the Ace Ventura movie as I had been cast in that. And then I got cast for a movie that was shooting in the Bahamas with Gerard Depardieu. Uh-huh. And that was fine. They were far enough apart, but then all of a sudden Ace Ventura says, Oh, we're going to shoot your scenes. And this was less than 24 hours before I was supposed to go to the Bahamas. Oh, wow. And they said, we're going to shoot your scenes uh, uh, tomorrow. And I said, can't do it. I, I'm committed to this the movie in the Bahamas. Yeah. And so uh, they said, well, geez, too bad. Uh, you, you lose. And I go, no, I don't lose because it was less than 24 hours notice you gave me. So right. <laughs> you owe me. And to this day, I'm getting a Spencer residuals for a part that I never was in. That you never played. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the one that you uh, and I, I, I'm trying to remember, there was some thread where, uh, that somebody was asking about on Twitter. I don't remember what the subject mm -hmm. of it was, but long story short, you said, yeah, well, I, I got I get killed and analyze this. So yes. I, I want to know, yeah. did you get squibbed? Because uh, I can't <sighs> remember the scene off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just want the whole story. Just tell me about it. I think if you go on the uh, DaveCoreyOnline.com website, um, I think I'm, I don't know if I have that that scene in there. I, ha I have the uh, Walker, Texas Ranger beating scene in there oh yes okay good all right i'll have to pull yeah. that up but it's the scene where um jelly the fat guy is uh, i'm sitting there i'm the uh, the hall guard the miami hall guard and i'm i'm the bodyguard for robert de niro in that particular scene looking out for any untoward people coming to get him mm -hmm. and the fat guy comes up to me jelly and he says uh, i'm gonna get something to eat you want a sandwich or something and I go, uh, what kind of sandwich ain't too fattening? And he goes, a half a sandwich, like that. And I go, oh, okay. And then uh, he walks off to get the sandwich. Uh, <laughs> a couple of seconds later, the elevator door opens, and I get five, three shots to the chest. <laughs> and, um, you know, first of all, the, the auditions for this um, must have been like 50, par, 50 people up for the each part, you know, mm -hmm. the the guy that does the shooting who goes on to have a, a nice fight scene and then for my character and then i find out that it was de niro that is the one who actually picked the actors oh so, wow right there to get that part and to be hand selected by de niro was pretty much that was pretty awesome uh, and to, to work with director harold ramus i, oh, I cannot tell on. you how much time do you have on this um, right Oh my God! Do you, do you have a uh, how how much more time do you want me to go on this? You can keep whatever you got, especially if you've got <laughs> okay. a Harold Ramis story. Uh, this is this is incredible, and I, and I may be moved to tears because I've never met such a beautiful person. Um, he had his uh, little son with him on the set, and this is in was it the Fountain Blue Hotel, the the penthouse floor, mm -hmm. in Miami Beach. And yes, they squibbed me. There were three squibs and uh, pretty, pretty vicious charges they had in them too. Mm -hmm. And Harold Ramis was looking at the monitor with his son in a room just around the corner from where it was being shot, maybe 30, 40 feet away from, mm -hmm. from the, the actual lobby where I was sitting and did the first take and you know the stuff the blood is flying all over the place <clears throat> and 
Harold Ramis comes out and he goes, quick, quick, come back here with me. And he says, uh, this is my son. And I want to, I want to show him that this is just playing. We're just playing and oh, that wow. you're not hurt and that you're fine. Okay. And I went, Oh my God. Yes. Oh, sure. And the kid, you could say, Oh, you're okay. And I said, yes, yes, this is what we do. Isn't that fun? You know? And wow. so, um, and so they had a, another shirt exactly like the one they set me up again and, and did the scene. And, and that was that, you know, and get a big hug from, from Harold Ramis and hug this kid and stuff like that. And uh, I never met De Niro uh, during the day there. And that was like my big scene. And I said, well, it's been real, man. That was cool. <laughs> you know, but I, I got home and we had fax machines back then. And uh -huh. I sent in character uh, a fax to Harold Ramis, tell my boss that I, uh, I, I had his, I had his uh, back, you know, and uh, sorry, uh, sorry, it turned out that way, you know, whatever I wrote. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that. And, and the next morning at six o'clock, I get a call from a production assistant and they said, Harold Ramis wants you on set right away. I what? went, what? I'm not scheduled to be there. And he said, no, he wants you here right away as, as quick as you can get here. And I went, okay, okay, okay. So I'm looking at my wife and we're going, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I shot down there and I walk in the door and Harold Ramis is there with Robert De Niro. Mm. Uh, what language can I use on this podcast? Whatever you want. Okay. So De Niro's there. And uh, Harold, Harold Ramis uh, is with him. And Daniel says, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> and I went, what? And he goes, you're fucking dead. <laughs> and I, I'm going, in my head, I'm saying, oh, my God. De Niro is goofing with me. They, they called me down here to goof with De Niro. And I said, well, I'm not going to lose this, you know, this opportunity. And I said, uh, Mr. De Niro, I don't know how much you know about, uh, and then I do the air quotes, about the business. <laughs> I said, but sometimes what we do, again, with the air quotes, is shoot what they call out of sequence. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I did not know that. <laughs> I did not. I did not fucking know that. <laughs> so they kept me around the rest of the day, and you know, it's like I'd stand there and you know, basically do uh, extra work. But then um, it was a scene where Billy Crystal was coming to visit De Niro, and every time he passed by me, we'd have to do like uh, in the old speakeasies, you have to have a password to get in. You know, so we started goofing around with passwords with. Uh, with um, Billy Crystal and stuff. Uh, still like, I think one was sphincter. And so, <laughs> so it was just fun. So then um, <clears throat> comes time for the uh, premiere in New York City and I'm here in Miami. And so I get an invite to go up there with my wife and <laughs> go to the premiere with the, wow. you know, the whole group. So I said, oh my God, yeah, I'll be there. Well, stupid. Uh, I took Spirit Airlines, not to knock oh, them, but well, come on. <laughs> they got us there 20 minutes late. I mean, we oh. walked into the theater 20 minutes late, and I said, "Oh, I feel like such an ass, such an ass." Who's in the lobby waiting for me? <laughs> Harold Ramis. Oh my God! And he says, "Dave, you finally made it. Now we can get started." And he threw his arms around me again. I went, "Oh my God! This person oh, is just this shit. is." unreal you know so um get up there and uh says okay now we can start the movie and <laughs> boom they start they show the movie the movie and then the <clears throat> we have a little get together afterwards and it's funny because all the new york goombas uh were coming up to me and uh saying so uh what do you do down there <laughs> i said i'm an actor like you and you go we're not fucking actors <laughs> <laughs> I go, and then, so you know i have italian relatives you know my on my mother's side and so uh you know i, I sort of could identify with some of them because i remember at my wedding um some of my uncles came up to me and uh he said so dave what are you doing um what are you doing for work and i said i'm, I'm in radio no problem he says well, why don't you come to work for us and i said what do you do um we're accountants Accountants, yes, you don't even have an office. What am I? I don't know. I don't know what accounting is. Ah, you don't need to know that shit. And I go, what are, you, what are you talking about? And they said, just be you. And I said, what's that? And they go, big, fucking big. <laughs> so 
I kind of related to these guys, uh-huh. and I, you know, I played along with them and stuff. Um, <laughs> I tell you, it it was a good time. So this is, um, you know, I don't know how you're going to segue into it, this, but this this was going to be my spinoff. Oh my God! Let's do it. Let's let's absolutely do it. Uh, this then this is five and over, uh, mm-hmm. our only segment where you take uh, a a five and under part and you spin it off into whatever you want. So please hit me with it. All right. Here's what I had considered the Miami the Miami Hall Guard spinoff. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> um, after the Miami Hall Guard is shot, mm-hmm. it never is determined whether or not he survives Fair the enough. shooting. Right. You sure. Know? It just shows him he looks like he's dead. I remember uh, Brando and the Godfather, you know, sure. when you get all those shots, they took him to the hospital. So that's what happens. They take me to the hospital and uh, they say, you know, we can just do so much with the flesh that we have here. But, you know, uh, we're working on this robotic stuff, you know, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, OK. So uh, this is the Miami Hall Guard. He's fitted with robotic surgery. And so now the f- the spin-off films becomes Robofella. Mm-hmm. Instead of Goodfella, it's Robofella. So I mean, I think this is really it's brilliant, you know. Become I become the prime enforcer for Paul Vitti's family, you know, for the Paul Vitti family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just smoking people right and left, you know. And uh, getting my revenge on uh, it's funny the guy that actually killed me, Vinny, was the mm-hmm. guy that was talking. He's the guy that got me the the switchblades in the gym. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was just odd that De Niro seemed to like think that we had chemistry or something like that. So uh, I go and find my buddy Vinny there, and I take him out, and and uh, then I eventually retire, mm-hmm. and I open a, a food truck. And it's called a half a sandwich. <laughs> now, this is weird because this has come real close to, to coming to fruition. Because uh-huh. um, I have my daughter-in-law and they live like about a mile from us. And she's an actor. She's an incredible actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got to thinking this would be a kind of a cool food truck. Uh, Dave's half a sandwich. Love you know, it. Where, where you go and you say, uh, you know, um, you're not going to get a whole sandwich, but you'll get a half a sandwich of this, a half a sandwich of that. And we have mm-hmm. all these special recipes. We love to cook, both of us. Um, so I, I incorporated that into the uh, the, the retire, retirement element of a robo fella, <laughs> <laughs> where he opes, opens the half a sandwich food truck. So there you have it. Robo fellow, what is your primary mission? To be big, fucking yes. big. <laughs> yes. I think this bitch has legs. <laughs> Don't Holy you? Cr- Holy crap. <laughs> this is the that that might be the most elaborate spin-off and uh, so far and that's yeah. this is what I've been hoping for by the way. I I yes. I want a really elaborate spin-off, uh, you know, uh-huh. I want people to come up with stuff like this. Uh I had no idea where you were going with it and I'm <laughs> so happy we ended up there. Um, I, I, uh, I feel like I should ask you, uh, because action movie people would probably be annoyed if I didn't ask you about bad boys Two. Mm. bad boys two was, Mm -hmm. um, I played uh, the head of the uh, Miami uh, FBI Mm -hmm. and it's the scene with, uh, the two guys. Uh, okay. It's coming back to me there. Who's, uh, Joe, uh, Pantaleone. Uh huh. Okay. He was, uh, one of the other, uh, one of the other government agents. Sure. Uh, so he brings me in and I meet um, Will Smith and uh, Martin Lawrence uh-huh. and their characters. And this is where Martin Lawrence's sister had been kidnapped. And it's just, it's just again, it's a five line or less thing. Uh, we're talking about, um, you know, how, how are we going to get it back? And, you know, what, what do you want to, can we uh, pay, pay him off or whatever? I don't know how the lines went, but I said, the United States does not negotiate with terrorists, especially Cuban terrorists. Uh-huh. Like that. And that's where Lawrence goes, fuck that. <clears throat> and, uh, and so they go rogue. And that's where. But uh, again, uh, Joey Pantaleone, Joey Pants, mm-hmm. um, in between takes was just riffing um, right and left. And that's oh part of the joy of it, too. You know, he, he would, during the course of the scene, would make faces at me when he knew he wasn't on camera and try to break me up. Um, and, uh, but, um, you know, what's so weird about that and, um, 
this is something I don't endorse anybody doing, uh-huh. but um, who the hell, uh, I sort of psychologically, I put this guy's name out of my, my head because I didn't like what he did. The director, what is his name? Uh, uh, Michael Bay. Michael Bay. Yes, uh-huh. Okay, I will tell you. We are. I feel like I need to run a uh, like a check mark of how many times his name comes up in a. But continue. <laughs> okay. Well, and again, this was a sort of during my debut, stupid idiot era, uh-huh. but it paid off again. Uh, it's um, he. Uh, I was going in to read for the the Russian guys. I wanted, oh, okay. you know, and so I had studied the dialect and I got the lines down and everything else. And when I got there, Michael Bay says, "No, nah, I don't want you to read for that part. We got somebody else to do that." And I went, "What?" He says, "Yeah, read for the FBI guy." And so I was so pissed when I read it. I was just like screaming a lot, like that. And he goes, what the hell's wrong with you? Bring it down, bring it down, bring it down. And I said, uh, okay. Um, so I, I finally kind of calmed down a little bit, did the lines. And he says, okay, good. And I said, nice. It's, it's really lucky for you that you don't live in Florida. And he goes, why is that? And I said, because they got an anti-sodomy law. And I said, you just fucked me in the ass. Oh, and I shit. slammed my hand into the wall and walked out. And um, I said, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to work again. But <laughs> right. it, felt, it felt real good. Uh-huh. Know, but it was stupid. It really, it was, it was stupid. But then I get a call. Hey, you got a part. Went, oh, my God. Really? Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> apparently that is what it takes okay now now i know this is really fun uh that is that is really i will tell you it's always every time i've heard a story about michael bay it's the opposite he's the one flipping out <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah, don't think yeah. i've ever that's really funny wow really so i had the yeah. upper hand mm-hmm, uh, the, the one thing is like as my voice was shot that day kind of like it is today you know um usually i do have some bottom end but my voice was very much like it is today Mm-hmm. And that was the only disagreement we had at some point. He says, you know, because I had sat around in the hot sun in the honey wagon you know, for most of the day to do that little scene. And it was like uh, midnight, I think, before they actually got around to it. Mm-hmm. And my voice was shot, you know, just dehydrated or something. And he goes, can't you lower your voice a little bit? <laughs> I said, no, As this is what I got. This is, this is all I'm working with. And he goes, yeah, it sounds kind of gay or something like that. I, I don't think he said that nasty but it was something okay. nasty okay and i don't want to impute he's a terrific person he's a wonderful wonderful director um and i wouldn't mind working with him again sure of course um, <laughs> but um yeah most of it was my my attitude back then i i did have um i had my haughty period let's mm-hmm. put it that way sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey at least you recognize it some people don't yeah yeah you know? yeah and um you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I think there are things in our life that we have to, we are, this is why I enjoy being an older person because now I can see why things are the way they are and how they got to be there. And, you know, it's like uh, when I was in, in California in high school, that's when my parents decided my senior year to move to, to New Hampshire. Oh, wow. And, you know, and I, that, that was a downtime and, you know, going from Silicon Valley high school to uh, Concord, New Hampshire, you know, with the, witches and warlocks and whatever. Uh, and if I, that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been able to go um, meet the people I met at the University of New Hampshire. The speech and drama department was fantastic. When I got into radio, I met this lovely woman uh, who was um, responsible for the program logs. And I introduced myself her to her. And she was not what I was ever looking for in a mate. But here we are 47 years later, um, married. So, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, and, and taking a lesson from my mother, Mother's Day was yesterday, or um, Sunday. What is today? Yeah, today's Tuesday. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the, on her 50th birthday, Mother's Day, May 10th was the day she died. And I was holding her hand when she passed. And wow. her last words to me were, I'll see you later. Wow. And so I take all those experiences and you pile them up and you say, you know, we're here. The, no matter what horrible circumstances we're living under, yeah, we're going to have our bad days and we're going to act like idiots on some days. But the bottom line is, is um, you know, there, there is some purpose to our being here and, and sharing ourselves with others. 
and sharing the best of ourselves with others is so, so darn important, you know? Yeah. Um, you probably see on Twitter some days I just, I just go off and, and um, you know, it, it's cathartic for me. I want to, you know, tell Trump, you know, I tell him to F himself and everything like that. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but for the most part, I want to be a channel of peace, you know, and, and um, inspirational. And, and I thank you for this opportunity for letting me share whatever part of my life is uh, being shared by others. You know? Oh my goodness. You have so many delightful stories and I'm sure I could ask you a, a billion more. <laughs> um, I do. So like early uh, midway through the last season, I decided I would ask people um, a couple other things. If you've got a, just a quick moment. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the big one is what's your favorite craft surface item? If you can pick <laughs> around the world, mm -hmm. right? Uh, well, that's more of the meal. My favorite crafts, <laughs> anything with peanut butter. Okay. Um, yeah. Peanut butter cups, uh, those little oh. pretzels that used to have peanut butter in them. Yes. Um, all those things. And down here, um, the, it's the, uh, it's the liquids that you imbibe. Sure. You know, when I came down here, I had never heard of, um, cafe cubano mm -hmm. or, cafecito or any of these things and it was that night that we were shooting the miami vice scene it was at three o'clock in the morning after we just pulled ourselves out of the out of the wreckage and the craft services people actually came by with these little tiny they look like a urine specimen cups <laughs> and then they have a styrofoam cup filled with this brown thick gold you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um the, it was uh cuban coffee and everybody would be taking the little, everybody was passing on it because it was three in the morning. And so when they got to me, they had the whole styrofoam cup basically was left. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> they said, uh, here, I want some of this. And I said, well, is, is there anybody else having it? And they said, no, it's like, guess it's just you. And they started to pour me the little one. I said, well, I'll take the whole cup, <laughs> you know? And uh, holy mackerel, I think that was like a three-day buzz. <laughs> unbelievable oh, it was so you know having never had it before yeah um so that has become now i make my own every night but i have it in a in a thimble size cup and every single night they showed me how to make it too uh, -huh. uh you know how to make the espumita and all that kind of stuff so <laughs> that That's would have to be uh between that and anything with peanut butter i would be in heaven <laughs> on set yeah. That's remarkable. Um, what do you have to promote? Uh, this is going to not come out till sometime after uh, June. So probably July-ish is when this mm -hmm. is going to come out. So I don't know if you got anything planned. Obviously, none of us have too much planned, but maybe tell people where they can find you. Maybe something they should look up to watch you in. Yeah. Um, you can find me on DaveCoreyOnline.com. And it's just a little more about me. It's my little ego trip. But there's something I'm working on now. <clears throat> I was given a a pile of 600 letters from a Jewish Marine in World War II mm -hmm. from 1942 to 1944 wow. from his basic training on Paris Island to he eventually wound up on the shores of Iwo Jima writing letters um, while his friends were literally dying and rotting next to him. Wow. And so I've taken these letters and they're to and from family, the most incredibly well-written stuff. Just, it's full of humor. It's full of the, the basic training stories. It's full of the anti-Semitism, the anti-Jew stuff that was going on in this country at the time. Mm -hmm. um, just phenomenal. And so um, the, the thing that held this guy together was his little niece, Ellen. And so mm -hmm. the, the podcast that I'm working on, I've written two episodes and produced them so far, is called Kisses for Ellen. I want to produce them all before I release it. Um, and just it, it covers um, that, that period in this guy's life and in the family's life. And really, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound all that compelling, but the art of writing oh, letters no, is just amazing. It's, it's just incredible. And he carried his niece was two years old at the time. He carried this little picture of her in his, in his shirt pocket, wherever he went, even there in the I Iwo Jima, wherever he was, he had, and he would always end his letters, kisses for Ellen, his little niece. Um, Ellen is who gave me these letters. Wow. Uh, she's in her seventies now. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, the story has to be told. And I yeah. said, okay, 
I'm going to, I'm going to write it and produce it. And um, I've, you know, again, with technology, I've been able to cast people and, and record them all over Miami. Some of the, some of our fine actors, voice actors here. And uh, it's just, it's going to be pretty special. Maybe I might send you personally uh, my little demo of it, if you'd like. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I would absolutely love to hear it, please. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once we, do you know where it's going to come out or is it something you can tell me closer to when this airs? Maybe. I would have to, yeah, it would have to be closer to when it airs because okay. right now um, my son is uh, the CEO and president of Insight for the Blind here. And um, with what's happened, people that are wanting to to read and volunteer for, for blind listeners, um, they just can't do it anymore. So right. there's just a handful of us that are doing the articles from Smithsonian and Southern Living and even Playboy articles and putting mm-hmm. them out there from our homes. Um uh, you know, and so I've been really occupied with keeping keeping that alive during sure. this crisis. So, oh, that's but amazing, uh, then, yeah. yeah, as soon as we pass, then I'm going to get get back to work on that, and um, I'll send you what I've got so far. And I think, yeah, I think you'll see a future in that. Oh, sure. I'm excited to hear that. I yeah. really, really appreciate you talking to me. Um, this has been a lot of fun. I oh, <laughs> So many really good stories. Um, I have nothing to promote because who knows what the hell. I mean, I, I just listen to my other dumb podcasts. There's uh, I'd love to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so anybody out there, if you haven't heard my other shows, folks, I don't know. I've got a podcast about comedy albums, a podcast about the sitcom news radio. Whether you've seen it or not, uh, it's worth <laughs> listening to. And then we got this one, which is uh, slowly becoming one of my favorite things to do especially because of episodes like this. Um, There's just one thing I say at the end of every episode, and that is, I'm sorry I missed your thing. I don't own a TV, so. (laughs) You can find The Professional Blur on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you find podcasts. And follow Jason on Instagram at Jason Klom and follow his hashtag, The Professional Blur. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!